Hello and welcome to the Yellow Chair Collective. We are a psychotherapy practice based in Los Angeles. My name is Jack Lamb and I use they, them, and he, him pronouns. And I am an outreach coordinator and therapist here at the Yellow Chair Collective. As the holiday seasons are coming up, we decided that it might be a good idea to explore communication in relationships during this time. Much has been said around interracial communications, and yet even within our Asian community, there can be many nuances and differences between the ways we view or even celebrate the holidays. Specifically, we've invited our panel of therapists who currently are in intercultural or interethnic relationships with partners of different Asian backgrounds to share with us their stories, as well as some tips for anyone who might be in intercultural relationships during the holiday season. So first we have Sujin Lee, who uses she, her pronouns. Sujin is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a co-director here at Yellow Chair Collective. She is a 1.5 generation Korean American immigrant, and she provides therapy, consultation, and trainings on identity issues around Asian American identity, trauma, and work-life balance. Next, we have Asuka Garcia, who uses she, her, hers pronouns. And Asuka is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist here at Yellow Chair Collective. Asuka is a Japanese national and has experience working with adults and older adults with serious mental illnesses. Next we up, we have Samna Budatoki, who uses she, her, hers pronouns. Samna is an associate psychotherapist at Yellow Chair Collective. She was born and raised in Nepal and is currently living in Long Beach, California. Samna has experience and training working with trauma, depression, and anxiety amongst adults, teens, and couples. And last but not least, we have Jesse Lee, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Jessie uses she, her pronouns and is a couples therapist and a clinical supervisor here at Yellow Chair. She enjoys working with couples and helping them navigate the journey of being partners. So we are very, very, very excited to have all of you here today. Maybe just to kick it off, I would like to invite some of y'all to kind of share your experiences with kind of communication during the holiday seasons, if there's any kind of salient experiences or what you kind of think of first when you think of intercultural communication during the holidays. One of the things for me that's very prominent when it comes to holiday season and having, having my families get together is really about language barriers. So of course, cultural barriers, uh, the traditional barriers, like, you know, different, different ways that the family celebrate the holidays together is already difficult. But for me and my family in particular, there's a huge language barrier. So as Jack introduced, I am a Korean American, 1.5 generation, which means that I was born in Korea. And then I immigrated here when I was young. So my parents also are immigrants and they're monolingual in Korean. Whereas my husband, who is second born here in America and Chinese American, his family is also immigrants though. His, his parents are immigrants and they speak, you know, multiple different dialects of Chinese in the home. So he grew up with multiple different dialects of Chinese, but either way, when my in-laws and my family, my family get together, they're kind of all speaking different languages, right? So it's so difficult for us to try to navigate that. I think it, it becomes a thing where my husband and I have to sit right in the center of the table <laughs> so that my parents are on one side and his parents are 
on the other side where we have to do this three-way translation, right? My parents say something and then I have to translate it in English and then my husband translates it to Chinese <laughs> and then the other way around. So the communication becomes very short and it, it becomes even very just vague, right? And a lot of times like we tend to skip over a lot of like details or skip over a lot of things that my parents are even saying because it becomes exhausting for me and my husband to constantly be the translator and center of the communication in the holidays. When you say that, I think of the game of telephone <laughs> that we yeah. used to play as children when the message keeps going to different people. And then at the end, it's something like not even very close to what the original <laughs> message was. Yeah, I'm sure the way that they're interpreting it too is probably different. Yes, I feel like I can really relate to what Sujin said. Um, just a little bit of background information. I am Chinese, also 1.5 generation, and my husband is Korean and also 1.5. My parents are monolingual and my in-laws speak some English. So whenever we have like gatherings around the holidays or birthdays, it's a lot of translating, like being in the middle, like relating the message and thinking like, do we need to do some filtering? Is it uh, going through meanings and languages? So yeah, I can really relate to what Sujin was talking about. I'm wondering, you mentioned filtering. Like, do we need to do some filtering? That makes me sound like there's something to filter. <laughs> and I'm wondering if there's anything that you can think of, like an example of um, something that's happened that you feel like you need to filter from the other family. I think the word future might be a little bit, you know, strong, but I'm just going to give you like a little episode that happened um, around holidays or birthdays and like uh, parents from both sides would want to invite each other to come over, you know, to just get together and have some fun time together. I think at the beginning when my parents were inviting my in-laws in, my husband and I were the ones who planned like what time they would come over. So um, it just whatever worked for our schedule. So it was 2 p.m., 3 p.m., whatever that worked. After a few times, um, my father-in-law told my husband, is it like a Chinese tradition thing that they don't feed their guests because uh, we thought there would be like a meal or something. But then my wife and I would go over um, thinking there would be a meal, but we had to get in and out on our way home. I felt so bad, so embarrassed. Um, you know, after my husband told me about what um, his dad said, but for my family, um, I don't, I don't want to say it's a Chinese thing, but it's just my family's tradition is that we have very like set meal times, breakfast at eight, lunch at 12, dinner at six. So whenever we have guests over um, in between those times, we have like fruit, tea or juice or snacks to serve the guests, but not like a meal. So my parents weren't, you know, thinking about uh, you know, a meal when the invitation time is two o'clock. So that was kind of like a little bit like miscommunication. So after that, uh, my husband and I have decided now all gatherings will be like 12 o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock. So it works for, you know, both sides. Yeah, I think this is just a, like a little episode that happened. That's so funny. It reminds me of um, one time, this wasn't exactly like a language barrier, but I guess it's more like just the family cultural uh, differences, right? I think like the first few times that my parents were meeting with my in-laws, they wanted to make sure that they looked their finest, right? <laughs> like, and it's like a very Korean 
thing, I think, to, to want to look your best when you're especially meeting with your daughters-in-laws. <laughs> and so my, my, my dad would always put on a suit with a, with a tie and he never puts on a tie, right? Uh, but he, like for these occasions when we would get together for dinner and my mom would try to, you know, dress uh, the best way that she can. But my in-laws just, you know, having grown up here a lot longer than my parents who really grew up in Korea, because my, my in-law parents, they, they came here when they were a lot younger, like in their college or in their 20s. So to them, they've already adopted just like being casual, having casual dinners, like because it's, it's like for lunch, or not even for dinner. Sometimes we're just getting together for lunch and getting at each other's houses, not even outside. So then they're just in their casual clothes and sometimes my my sister-in-law is coming in with her sweats and, and my parents are all dressed up and nervous about meeting with my in-laws and I just remember and found that to be like a little bit hilarious but also you know I felt like really warm in my heart that there's such difference but they're all both trying together to like make this dinner or lunch happen right even though it's so difficult for them. I think that's hilarious because I'm just picturing, you know, eating lunch outside and then seeing these two families merge and one being like American Eagle Hollister and then the other one just like, oh, Exactly. Oh my god. Yeah, it was it was really funny. Yeah. Cause my parents also like, you know, they they were like, oh yeah, we have to get there early you know <laughs> you so they were like 10 minutes early and then you see them like waiting with their with their dress and the suit and and my sister-in-law I think was the next person that came with with her sweats and she's like oh, I think I'm really underdressed for this <laughs> oh that's funny in those instances did you ever hear from your parents how they felt about seeing your in-laws dressed so casually <laughs> My mom was saying, oh, I, you know, I think she was trying to process really like the different cultural things because she, you know, she was experiencing already a lot of that here as an immigrant too, like that they're really different. And so I think she was really processing that even in family gatherings, she's really feeling that difference too. So yeah, she did, she noted like, to me, it's like important that we look our best for your your new family members, right? But I guess that might make them feel maybe even more uncomfortable that we're looking too formal. So yeah, she did make that comment. That brings up what we are kind of moving into next, which is kind of the adjustment, right? Of moving into a different culture, and especially around the holiday seasons, I think we think a lot about how do we kind of celebrate and keep our traditions alive in a whole new space, right? Where you might be accustomed to do things a certain way, like maybe your mom was, and then seeing that the culture around you might not have the same ideas or sentiments. So I'm wondering if y'all kind of have had that experience during the holidays where you feel like maybe, oh, this is, this is something that you used to do, or this is something that you used to celebrate and all of a sudden here, you feel like things might have had to change or negotiated. Yeah, so I am um, originally from Japan. So in Japan, in terms of holiday, we celebrate New Year's more compared to Christmas time. And then in the States, we celebrate Christmas a lot more as official 
uh, in a sense, kind of religious holiday compared to New Year. So, um, yeah, I kind of had the adjustment that, okay, a holiday, a Christmas is also something that we value. So, um, I mean, I'm already used to it. I'm all, almost here in the States 20 years. But when I came here, that cultural shift was a little bit foreign to me, even more so that my um, husband is Filipino-American, born and raised here in the States. They participate in Catholic religious ritual for Christmas. Definitely that was new tradition that I adapted. And then now I appreciate it because then now that adds a lot more value for the concept of Christmas to me. And then also for New Year, then um, I can also invite my husband to celebrate more in the Japanese way. So in a sense, I guess it's working out. But yeah, when I came here for the first time in the States, that was cultural shift. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. It sounds like you brought something for your husband's family and tradition and he brought something uh, for you to learn and both of y'all are sharing and appreciating each other's celebration. I'm kind of curious, even just the Japanese New Year, right? Like, what does that look like? Because I know that we do have some New Year celebrations in the U.S., but I'm wondering, you know, how different does it look? Yeah, it kind of starts from the uh, New Year's Eve, actually. So our tradition is to eat soba noodle uh, at the very end of the year, almost close to that 12 o'clock to go turn into New Year. And then that noodle, because it's long noodle, it represents longevity. So that's, yeah, we eat, which in my family, my actually dad had sober al- the noodle allergy. So we, I know we never got to eat oh, soba, no. which when I was in child, in my childhood, I wanted to try soba because I just couldn't have it. But we switched it with udon noodle or other, um, still, yeah, did something similar. And then for New Year, uh, we have, we eat a lot in Japan, I guess, for New Year, I realized. So New Year morning, then we eat osechi which is the special bento box, huge one with kind of gorgeous dishes. And then afternoon, I mean, we go to the temple visit to wish for good year. And after come back, we eat mochi soup. <laughs> to, yeah. And it was still, we kind of continued to eat that bento box too because it's so much that we couldn't finish. <laughs> so yeah, we kind of just eat through and then bond together with family through eating and resting and eating and resting. <laughs> so, and yeah, we, uh, we celebrate New Year's for three days straight. So yeah, most of us have time off at least three days. Asuka, can I join your family for New Year's? Right? It sounds amazing. I love that. And I think it's so funny because, you know, ever since I immigrated to America, I'm an immigrant as well from Malaysia. And I think the New Year's traditions here is kind of interesting, quite funny. I think a lot of people, you know, talk about like the ball drop in New York, you know, watching TV and having parties or going out to celebrate. And that's something that was very interesting to me because I I always feel similarly um, that New Year's was like a a family tradition that you spend with your family. But more so, we usually celebrate kind of Chinese New Year, uh, the Lunar New Year, as opposed to the Gregorian calendar New Year. Yeah, also a lot of food, also the same meaning for noodles, which is very interesting (laughs) to hear. 
but I, I guess I'm thinking, you know, when you immigrated here over 20 years ago, and, you know, even just thinking about the fact that your New Year's lasts three days, and here it's just the day off. I wonder if that kind of brought you any feelings of grief or any feelings of sadness, loneliness. I think about my own experience immigrating here, especially around the holidays that I used to celebrate with my family. That definitely came up a lot for me. Yeah, I definitely feel a sense of maybe, yeah, just celebrating one day is too short. <laughs> and then like usually we just kind of step, stay up late from the New Year's Eve to New Year. And then we try to stay up as long as possible, but we go to bed. And then, you know, on the day, first day of January, then the rest of the day, it's kind of nothing. Like, okay, that was it, just to celebrate the New Year's Eve to New Year's. So yeah, definitely that sense, I kind of feel like, okay, this is it and not enough. Um, oh. But yeah, I actually try to, I mean, I am not, best cook to be able to prepare all those those special bento box and stuff I, I don't have the skill but uh when i have chance then i at least try to cook the mochi soup or some of the few traditional dishes that we eat for new year's even maybe one or two dishes and then share with my husband and family here at least in that way i feel that cultural connection and a sense of sharing that part with my new family i resonate with you a lot oscar and, and the words that you were bringing up jack the sadness and grief is i was actually feeling it while you were talking about your family gathering sujin that your parents are dressing up and then you know going into the holidays i I've, I've always wished that for my family to be here so again coming from nepal so my family they're back in nepal and half of them are in Japan, so definitely resonate with the New Year tradition there as well. But as we're speaking about it, we're actually having a big festival in Nepal. Most people here know it as Diwali, but today is the day of Diwali. But again, you know, for us, we call it Tihar. So it goes with the Hindu tradition. Our biggest holiday is uh, Dasai, as most people know it, like in India and other Hindu countries could call it Dashera, but we call it Dasai. And then Tihar is what we call, but then most people know it as Diwali. And it's a month long, you know, of course there's like 10 days gap, but Dasai is gonna be 10 days of celebration. And Tihar is five days of celebration where we worship crows, we worship dogs. Today is gonna be worshiping a cow, which for us is a symbol of goddess of prosperity and, you know, Lakshmi. So we have these specific days where we um, worship like, you know, different, gods and goddesses a representation of of that but as we speak it's it's a normal day you know it's a regular day I'm, I'm here by myself so unless I don't educate or share these experiences with my partner then it's not not like it doesn't exist for me so that feels lonely in a sense but isolating in in, in some other sense but also you know it's like it's all dependent on me and it's either I call my family and talk to them or wish them through that. But otherwise, you know, there's no one around me to keep that tradition. So it gets a little hard at times. So yesterday I came home and it's like, well, uh, you know, with the time difference, the, you know, the date here today is there yesterday. So their main day was already celebrated there. So I came home after work and just 
share that today is Diwali at home and we watched uh, the office episode on Diwali and that's sometimes even those littlest thing could be celebration you know that's that's Diwali celebration here so <laughs> that's where we're at oh my gosh that is so funny <laughs> Just the office. I never thought the office would be like a cultural touch point <laughs> celebrating Asian holiday seriously it's an ironic version of it, but you know, it, it still speaks to my heart or it feels like some form of celebration to laugh and come together and eat while watching that. I definitely resonate with that a lot. I remember the first few years that I was here during our major holidays back home, really trying to kind of time it out so that I can make that call to my parents because the times where we're all awake are so slim. I remember after a call, it would be like midday here, right? And I'd be like, okay, well, what do I do now? I don't really know what else to do because we kind of celebrated in that 15-minute phone call. And then usually the environment around me is still celebratory, but now it's just me and I don't really know what to do with myself or I don't really know where to go because, as you said, it's a regular day. Um, happy Tihar, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so thinking about, you know, with your partner, what background is your partner from and what does he celebrate? He is uh, biracial, I would say Japanese and African-American. It's interesting. Well, he celebrates Christmas and, and Thanksgiving, but we've kind of come together and made our own tradition with that as well. So it's not a big family gathering that we have. It's just him and his mom. And it's usually just the three of us in the holidays. Holiday, you know, and I would maybe acknowledge that too. For some of us, we've also lost loved ones. So for, for me, I've lost my host mother who, who was my connection to the Japan side. So oftentimes now that becomes morning time, we go visit her grave and have a picnic there. And then evening we come and we cook with the, the traditional food. That's something I don't quite connect here. So then now we've kind of created our own menu where we cook the food that we all like and, and enjoy that has a special meaning to it. So that's how we've kind of made our own little tradition. And afterwards, we'll watch a little movie, just the three of us. It's more of an intimate, cozy setting that we've created. And after that, I usually FaceTime or video chat with my family. I love that, that you've kind of created your own tradition in a way, right? Like what you practice with your partner and his mom. Mm -hmm. I'm always interested in food. So I'm going to ask, you know, what that menu is that you <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> yeah. So my partner, he cooks really good lamb. And... And the closest to uh, mutton, what we call in Nepal, which is goat, is, is lamb here. So he creates a really good um, lamb plate and I make like a cauliflower soup plate. And uh, his mom, being Japanese, she makes a sukiyaki bowl. Um, so she brings that. So it's, it's almost like we each bring our own touch to it. Sometimes if I'm in it, usually Nepali food takes a little longer for me to cook. So sometimes I'll add that into the menu. But usually those three things are staple. So the lamb chops, uh, cauliflower soup, and sukiyaki from his mom's side. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. No. <laughs> Sounds so good. <laughs> I love that. I think that's so funny because, you know, I think when my family first kind of started getting together for Thanksgiving, because we had never celebrated Thanksgiving back in Malaysia, because, you know, it is an American thing. But, you know, we don't 
we celebrate by kind of coming together, right? Just as a family to eat. That's the, the way that we know how to celebrate like general holidays is around food. And I remember Thanksgiving, we would make turkey the first year. And then we thought, oh, this is okay. This is not very good. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if it's because we don't know how to make turkey or if it's just, it's just very dry. So... <laughs> following years we start making like Malaysian food we start making Chinese food and then we expanded it so it's not just family <laughs> we would have neighbors come over we would have other friends or immigrants come over and it'd be like a potluck right <laughs> and that I feel like that's very common for <laughs> Asian celebrations is to have a potluck and people just bring whatever food that they like and it becomes this new celebration and that's what we do every year now during Thanksgiving is any friends that you know might don't not have a place to go back to or might want to celebrate or just have a place to kind of be with people on that day my sister usually invites all of us back to her home and then we kind of cook together we watch a movie <laughs> and play some games so that's interesting I mean I think it's beautiful how we kind of create our new customs and our new traditions as we adjust to the environment I love that so much Jack I think I resonate with so much of all what you all are talking about here with food, like brings people together. I think there's a part of me growing up in being a, that 1.5 generation immigrant that have always wanted to participate in this American tradition, right? You keep talking about it at school, elementary school, like the whole month of November, everyone's making hand turkeys, but I've never tasted turkey or I've never even seen turkey in my life. So what is this weird animal that we're supposed to be eating during this time that my parents have no idea about, right? And I remember just like begging my mom, like, can we please get turkey? Because everyone has turkey during this time, but I don't get to talk about it, right? And cranberry, which really like, you know, was not familiar for my parents. And you know, I remember then one time, like my mom bought us like the roasted chicken instead of turkey. So, and I was so sad. I was so mad at her. <laughs> remember, this isn't turkey. Like everyone else gets to have turkey, but we have to have chicken because you don't know turkey and all that grief. And I think sadness is kind of arising for me too, but as an adult, I remember like trying turkey for the first time. I same thing, Jack, and I thought, yeah, no, I don't. I think I'll stick with the chicken. <laughs> yes, I feel like, um, yeah, I can relate to Sujin and Jack talking about the turkey. You know, being a little bit dry. I have never had turkey before coming to America, and like, yeah, the first time I had it, it was not, you know, the thing like the best thing. So now I think we have like our little own new tradition we get turkey from this Cantonese plate that do roasted duck and then they do roasted turkey and it it's great <laughs> I never even thought about that roasting turkey the way we roast duck okay great idea wow you know I think there's a sense of loss and grief for the ways we used to celebrate but I think it's also so interesting to to see the the innovation <laughs> like the the creativity, I guess, of blending these things and creating such new traditions and such interesting ways to go about it. I kind of want to try roast turkey in that way, right? like the Cantonese style roast turkey. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I think that's definitely something that I wonder, you know, if, if it's a prevalent feeling for a lot, because I, I hear that there's a lot of resonating around like the grief, the loneliness, the isolation, or feeling left out, because maybe what we celebrate is outside of the dominant culture or the dominant norm here in the US. I wonder if y'all kind of explored that with your partners or with your family and how you've navigated that. I think for our family, particularly for me, my current family, our closest family is uh, my partner's family living in the States because all of my families are in Japan. But, and uh, yeah, for my family, meaning that my family with my husband's family is um, kind of very casual, small way when it, when it comes to celebrating holidays. His family are also spread around. So holiday and get together, meaning that usually it is us and also his sister's family. So it is very small, very casual. And then we don't sometimes don't have those called traditional food either, but we just rather pick like a favorite restaurant. And then the, the intention is to spend the quality time together. So yeah, we kind of try to enjoyed that moment of the gathering by talking to each other catching up with each other because we don't get to see each other so often um, so even if we may not have that formality we try to appreciate each other's time by gathering and then laughing each other joking joking around and then playing game together and get exchange so we kind of created our own meaning to it around the holiday I think that's beautiful. I think the thing that comes up for me right now is thinking about how food is such a big part, right? I heard Asuka, you're like, oh, I can't make the osechi ryori and, you know, samana. Sometimes I make the pali food, but it's too much work. So maybe not all the time. And I, I resonate with that too. You know, I, I try making Malaysian food, but there's also, it's, it's hard to access all the ingredients here. Sometimes it's a long drive <laughs> and sometimes it's just not accessible at all. Like there, it's not there. It's also different. Sometimes you just want to go out and buy the food because <laughs> you know someone in the neighborhood, like back home that used to make it really well. And that's where everyone used to go and everyone used to get their New Year's food or their you know, celebration food. I'm thinking about the community, right? Like that's lost, that kind of connection. I'm wondering, you know, do you do y'all have any stories, I guess, about how you have found that connection again here in the States? And maybe especially because your partners might be from a different cultural background. I feel like that adds a layer of like how you kind of go about it. I can share one since it's so recent. Um, and this happens on a yearly basis, at least. So because we were, uh, we just had Dasai, right? Um, like October, mid-October was our Dasai time. And this year, for some reason, it hit me even harder because I was seeing photos of my dad celebrating with like my cousins and I, I wanted to be there. Like, why can't I be there? So it was, I think this year it hit me a little hard in terms of like feeling sad, missing home. So I, over the years, have learned to, to actually talk about these things with my partner to let him know that what's what's happening internally for for me and oftentimes he'll he'll try really hard so this this year he was like let's go to little india which is artesia area um, and let's go get some something to eat or just be around uh, 
people who would remind me of home or would just be slightly closer to that. So I think one of the weekends we we drove to Little India, we went to go eat dosa. And for him, it's always an interesting one. He he says he feels out of place. And honestly, I feel out of place too at times, but we go and we check out the stores and, you know, we eat the food and somehow food, you know, I, I really, again, resonate with everybody who was talking about it food just takes you back to those moments or you you relive those moments and you feel at home when you eat the spices or the taste of it or who did you eat that food with you know back home so I think that that becomes special but had it not been like me talking about how I felt probably would have never taken that trip to little India you know it would have just been a normal weekend and we just keep doing our normal things and I think reaching out and and actually taking that one extra step to feel closer to the community has helped uh, for me. Yeah, I think that's beautiful because I resonate so much with that. I sometimes love going back to, you know, like Malaysian and the closest thing we have is Indonesian food because there's not much Malaysian restaurants here. And I just like even sometimes just going and having it, even though it's different, I also, I noticed that I like talking about how different it is. You know, I like telling my friends or like my um, people close to me that like, oh, you know, back home, like, you know, we wouldn't use this, we would have this, it would taste this way. And even that just makes me feel nostalgic. It makes me feel comforted because at least I feel like in my element in a certain way. So I, I think that's a beautiful story. Absolutely. The nostalgic word is, is at point. <laughs> that reminds me of, um, I guess, the way that my family and my in-laws family have now adapted to being together through the holidays, since it's so different the way that they celebrate it and we celebrate it back home is I think we've decided that we're gonna do kind of like the potluck style, right? Where everyone can bring what they want. And my parents will definitely bring some traditional Korean dish while you know my in-laws will bring some traditional, like their, their regional Chinese food. And just like Jack, what you have mentioned, I think now all the conversations circulate around food. They get to talk about how it used to be back home for them and what kind of ingredients are supposed to be in here that is missing because we're in this new place together right and I I think that really brings them together although there's still this translation that happens (laughs) but food really does is binding yeah my my family and his family together I love that I love the conversations around food because sometimes it's like wait, is this yam or is that yam? But no, that's Japanese yam. No, actually that's Chinese yam. (laughs) I don't know what the difference is. It's all yam to me. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, as we're coming to a close, I want to make sure that kind of the people listening or watching, you know, have some kind of like a takeaway. So, you know, thinking about the stories that you've shared today and if, you know, people resonated with that, what is one tip that you would like to share with them? For uh, my experience being in in a intercultural uh, relationship, I think it is a continuous learning process, navigating the differences and similarities between the two cultures, the two families, on top of, you know, having to figure out how to be in a relationship with my husband, like a healthy one. So it's a lot of work in there. But then at the end of the day, when we all sit down to eat, to laugh, and it's, it's just, full of love full of joy and I think yeah that that's what will make the difficult the challenges a little bit easier 
Yes, I agree, Jesse. Um, regardless of um, formality or the structure that we supposed to have, um, even if we don't have it, uh, we can still kind of create our own meaning to that space of gathering. I mean, especially for me, I do not get to celebrate my traditional holiday in Japan, but in the States, even if so, I still have my family with my husband's family. And through that gathering, I always feel that they try to enjoy each other. Like that is their intention. I do really feel it. So even if we may not have so much, like we expect like the food and whatnot, but still, yeah, we just try to enjoy each other and then, yeah, um, appreciate that moment. And that's what I like about the gathering here in the States with my um, husband's family. So yeah, we can still come up with our own intention and meaning, and then we can still celebrate in our own ways. I think for us, um, I guess with with couples that might be dealing with what I, I do with the different language barriers, the one thing that we found to be really, really helpful for my husband and I is having some kind of nonverbal activity as part of our tradition. That way there's something that they can really relate to together and build something off of, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to involve us in it continuously. So one of the things that we do now is play Jenga because it's like, you really don't have to talk, but we can all laugh and we can all play this one game together. That's one, it's become a tradition for us. I love that, Sujin. Um, I, I think mine would be a little redundant because I already shared with the, with the story of going to Little India. Um, would be to, I think, just like thinking of antidote to, you know, grief, loss, isolation. The opposite would be to reach out, to, to connect to let others know what you're feeling or what you're going through and, and, and to find that connection through existing relationships here. And now with technology, we can always reach out, FaceTime, and it just feels like you're with them in some way, even though you're not. Um, so it would be to, to reach out and to connect and find these little moments. I love that. Thank you all so much for sharing. I definitely also resonate with a lot of it. I think with my family, we generally do a lot of karaoke around the holidays because as I said you know we bring a lot of people from different backgrounds and sometimes you know there's not much similarity but I feel like you can sing any song in any language and it'll be fun you know <laughs> so, so that's kind of what we found as a workaround but um, I want to thank you all so much for being here and sharing your stories and we hope that, you know, to anyone listening and viewing that this has been helpful, that you have a great holiday season ahead, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, if you want more information about our practice, you can go to our website, yellowchaircollective.com, where you can find the profiles of all of these amazing therapists that have shared their stories here today. And feel free to follow us on our Instagram page at yellowchaircollective, as well as follow this podcast either on YouTube Spotify or Google Podcasts. We're still working on Apple Podcasts, so that might come in the future. But thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thank you all.